I genuinely, I genuinely didn't think I was going to live live that day. I, was, I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't think I was going to make it. It is, it is an absolute blessing that I did. And then, you know, once I fell, probably about 20, 30 meters down, I, I, I was shocked that I was still alive. I couldn't believe I was still alive. And my biggest worry was that I was going to be paralyzed or paraplegic. And, 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 and I just, I was worried about the quality of my life after that. I was actually thinking, I think I'm, maybe I, I may as well have died down here. Yeah, no, I had some deep, dark thoughts. Hey there, you are listening to The Last Student Podcast. Today we have an insightful story. Yes, you heard it. We are having a story time about an entrepreneur who started a very successful career at Signia Asset Management, went to PSG Asset Management, and later at Coronation Fund Managers in South Africa. Dropped all of that, moved to Kenya, Nairobi, to ended up being organizing parties when people thought that he was building an asset management company. And that wasn't all. He had the entire body paralyzed after falling from a mountain. And all the rest is part of the story. Enjoy it. So my family is Ugandan, both parents. We have a very unique surname. In South Africa, everyone calls us the Tabulas, but it's actually pronounced the Tabolas. Tabola means doesn't discriminate. Bola means discriminate. And the T-A is a prefix that essentially means does not. So it's doesn't discriminate. The name originates back to my forefathers who... Must have been very generous fishermen, not discriminating on passers-by and uh, sharing food and their catch for the day with everyone. We are originally from the Sese Islands of Uganda in Lake Victoria. And the Sese Islands, I believe, gets their name from the fact that there was a, a plague of the Tsetse fly, probably in the 17 or 1800s. And a whole lot of people fled to mainland. To mainland. So and mainlands are Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda. And that's actually how we ended up there. My dad grew up there after two or three generations of being on the mainland and finished his university studies there and then moved to Kenya where he met my mom. My mom had moved to the U.S. To come, like around primary school, so she had spent most of her uh, formative years abroad. And then when she came back, she was actually in Kenya. They met at an airport, apparently. I love at first sight, you know the drill. <laughs> One of my sisters was born in Kenya. They moved to Lesotho after that, and my second sister was born in Lesotho. They actually got married in Lesotho. They decided to move to South Africa for three years on a three-year visa to come and see what uh, difference they could make in this in this part of the world. And this is in 1984, so you can imagine South Africa with all its troubles at that time. And two very optimistic East Africans thinking they can make a dent in, in the country's problems and give back. And those three years became 38 years. Those three years became 38 years. So we grew up in the Eastern Cape. I'm first generation South African. So I was the first person in my family born here. And I was educated in the Eastern Cape. And then I moved over to the Western Cape. I studied uh, mathematical statistics. And I had a very, I had passion for invest financial markets. I wanted to join asset management. And, you know, Cape Town is the asset management hub. I moved with one suitcase, typical African story, moved here with a <laughs> very green behind the ears and I, I started my career here. And this, this city has been great to me. I love this place so much. I travel widely, but I always make sure I come back, especially during the summer. What a journey. What were the implications in the early days, in the early development of your career, coming from a family with such strong foundation in the academia route 
both of your parents, as you explained, your mother was very well positioned in terms of schooling, your father as well. You mentioned he did some of his studies in Uganda, right? In, in, he, he did all his, his, his schooling in Uganda. Did that influence how you approached your own studies or how you look at education? Yeah, no doubt my, especially my dad is a very studious man who believes in having a desk and a chair where he writes his thoughts every single evening for as long as I've known him. I'm not, I wasn't necessarily the same growing up. I was definitely far more of an outdoors child as every child should be. I played a lot, but I was very interested and very curious in, on, in the, on, on the world. And I remember there used to be a program, a software on, on, on the computer called Encarta. I used to digest that information like crazy. My parents, also, obviously being academics, there were a lot of books and encyclopedias in the house, which I read far more than I read my own textbooks. So I didn't actually study that hard at school, but I did read a lot of textbooks and that kind of thing. And when it came to going to university, I knew I, 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 knew I was quantitatively strong. I've, I've always found subjects like biology and geography. It's like, it's great. That, it's out, that that kind of content's out there, but it never really fascinated me as much as quantitative methods like maths and statistics. And yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff really got me. Anyway, the numbers, I'm very comfortable. Was it the law for numbers that allowed you to look into the financial markets and wanting to have a career in that space? I thought it was quite fascinating that there were people on Wall Street, to be honest, that were able to project financial markets, that were able to predict market movements and they're betting against the markets, they're taking long and short positions and essentially the basis of all of this was quants or maths and I just knew that that's exactly what I need to do. And that's exactly what I need to do. Look, having grown up in, in, in the Eastern Cape, people who are quantitatively strong are pushed towards engineering. So it's like you need to grow up one day and build a bridge to like build a dam. So civil engineering was always shoved down my, my throat. Accounting was always shoved down my throat by career guidance, that kind of thing. But I, I didn't really have passion for the built environment. And architecture was something I also looked at quite curiously. But I, I was like, that's um, glorified trigonometry, you know? <laughs> I, I, really, I really just wanted to get into finance. And that's what I spent all my time trying to, trying to do, yeah. And how did your parents react to that, knowing that the hot thing in the market was architecture and engineering, and you wanted to or decided to take the skills that you had and apply that into finances? Were they supportive of that decision from the get-go, or it took some resistance and convincing to get them into buying your idea for the future? The reality is nine, probably 90% of our family circles of my parents' family, our family friends were doctors. Yeah, medical doctors. I grew up in a doctor community. And as, as a consequence, when I was around 18, my dad literally said to me, he will give me anything I want if I, if I, if I study medicine. <laughs> and part of that, part of that, 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 that ask was the fact that the medical school in the Eastern Cape where I grew up was also run by Ugandan doctors. So it was going to be taught by my uncles, so to speak. And I, I, I really had to like turn him down and be like, dad, look, I, I don't want to cut up cadavers. <laughs> I want to, I want to buy equities and structural balance funds and talk to investors. And that's really what I want to do. 
How was the relationship with money and finances at home? Were your parents vocal about managing funds and taking some of the money that they had to invest? Or did you absorb and got all of that information and inspiration from the books that you were reading? My mother, definitely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> My mom doesn't, she doesn't really subscribe to that sort of like world at all. My dad is a very big investor, a very big, a very strong believer in long-term investments. So very disciplined, very prudent. You know, he's not swinging for the fences, trying to make 30% in a year. He just believes, put your money with three investment managers diligently contribute monthly and you'll get your result, your end result. Like he genuinely believes that. And I mean, I'm now divulging secrets here, but I mean, at some point my dad was saving up to 80% of his income. What? Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's like that level of, of discipline is, is, is something that I definitely aspired to. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy when you're raising four kids and, and, and living in a very credit-driven world. You know, trying to trying to balance your 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 credit exposure and uh, increase your increase your, your skin in the game. It's 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 quite something, and it's paid off over the, over the long term. But he's very much an investor at a unit trust level, whereas I'm trying to be an investor at the call face, like in the trenches, like making the decisions and the, with the portfolio managers and the fund managers and that kind of thing. Yeah. You mentioned four children. How many boys and how many girls? And are you the second born? Because I, I, I recall that you said that your parents came to the side of the continent with your sister. No, no. I'm the third of, I'm a middle child, third of, of four kids, but all girls. And I'm the only boy, so I may as well be the first one. <laughs> are you the only one that has been inspired and moved by the decisions that your parents parents made, your father moving from Uganda to Kenya, your mother going to the U.S., back to Kenya, then both of them decide to move from Kenya to this side of the continent, invest their skills, invest the capital that they had to build something here. Are you the only one that was, that got this entrepreneurial spirit or your sisters are in a similar mindset? That's, that's a very good question. So my, my sisters have definitely taken a, a feather out of the hat of my parents. In fact, I think all of us have. It's just that we have combined that with what our own ambitions are. Mm -hmm. So my eldest sister, she is formally trained as a textile and graphic designer. However, she runs a school now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so she has, she has sort of done a, a, full, a full 180 where she went through, she's, she's highly, highly, highly creative. And she sees the world in color, no doubt about that. For her to get into a profession like investments or whatever, I mean, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. However, she identified this very early. We all knew it from a young age. She went to university and studied textile design, worked in the field for a few years. She went back and formalized in education, and, and now she runs a school in, 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 the, in the Transkai. And that's testament to my parents. So in the last 10 years, my parents were also very involved in that school and built it to where it is now. And she, is, she sort of runs with that project. And, and, and something that, as a family, I think we're very proud of. My parents are definitely very proud of it. I'm very proud of her. Then my second sister is a proper corporate lady. She is the person you get in to get the job done. Processes, business analysis, systems, climbing the corporate ladder. She's absolutely done that 
brilliantly. I'd say she forged her career in the management consulting space with you know big names like Accenture, and and today she heads up the regional. She's the regional head for multi choice in East Africa, so she is because she is the corporate, and she has absolutely no interest in starting a business or you know she wants uh, her income stream to be taken care of. And she just gets to work and manages teams and fulfills company visions. But she's not necessarily trying to be a visionary, if you see what I mean. And she's very comfortable with it. We've had lots of discussions around that. And then myself, I, I sort of wore two hats in the sense that having a, a career in investments is not necessarily one that you can sort of go to varsity and then you sort of forge your, your, your own way, you know. You have to go through corporate. You have to go and work. You have to go into the trenches, be an intern, serve the coffee, put spreadsheets apart and put them back together again, understand financial markets and also make your way up and do the do the years. I definitely do think that I came out a lot quicker than most people. I think by the time people leave investment, the investment industry to try and forge their own uh, businesses, it's usually in their 40s, whereas I did mine at 30. 30 was my exit, which I'm pretty sure also my colleagues thought was 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 premature yeah yeah and my, and my parents were also definitely concerned and now they're obviously very proud parents but at that time they were deeply concerned and i told them guys look i could always just go back i could always go back my younger sister she's quite unique in her personality she's she's extremely extroverted and has a, an ability to connect with people in a way that um, i've seen in a very in very few so she has, she has built a, a career in digital marketing. So she does digital marketing for some of the big South African brands, Nedbank, ShopRite. So, yeah, she started off at Twitter. I mean, she's yeah, she worked around, but her most prominent roles have been like working for the likes of the Twitter and, and that kind of thing. So she's at the media shop in Johannesburg. So it's it's like digital media meets corporate that's that's sort of where she's at and i also think she will definitely carve uh she has sort of carved out a a space for herself there but i do think that she has the ability to run something on her own but but probably more at a co-founder level now coming back to jj the visionary was that idea of building your your own company did that start at the point that you were building? You explained that you had a business reselling of wine at university. Was that the point where you decided that you had to build your own company? Or was it more of a necessity after understanding the financial market while you were building your career? I think some context on my on my upbringing is very important. When I was you know, growing up as a child of immigrants, right, especially being being placed in a, in an area like the Eastern Cape and the, the trans guy in the Eastern Cape. I mean, it's, 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 it's different. It's different. So there's South African culture and then there's South African Eastern Cape culture. It's a lot to take in when you are, when you come from a very different, inherently different background. Okay. So you need to understand I'm born into a, I'm born into a region and I'm able to take in the culture of that region because I've never lived anywhere else. But my parents and my, and my sisters, are essentially foreigners. So the people I was hanging out with at school were completely different to the people I was meeting at home. You know, I even remember when I was about five years old, I used to run up to my dad when kids were playing over at our house. And I said, Daddy, where are we from again? And he'd say, oh, we're from Uganda. Then I'd run outside and like, guys, I'm from Uganda. I'm from Uganda. And it's like growing up in the Eastern Cape made me already feel different. Just going to school every day, I was different. I looked different. I sounded different. 
even if I spoke vernacular, I spoke it differently, you know? And the children picked it up and made sure they picked on me for that reason, you know? Yeah, children are mean. <laughs> so as a consequence, I grew up as an introvert. If, if, if you knew me between birth and about 15 years old, you would, you would think that I was going to be a very quiet, introverted person. And I guess I just didn't feel like I fitted in. That was just the reality. And I always, I couldn't wait to grow up to leave. But I also didn't know where I wanted to go. I didn't know where I wanted to go. But, and, and, and what happens when you spend a lot of your formative years quiet, introspective, and you're, you're taking in a lot of information, you're learning people, you know, you're quieter and just like studying almost, observing. observing. And when I became 15 and I started realizing that the world was a very big place, and I could do absolutely anything I wanted to do and go anywhere I wanted to go. And around 15, you know that you've got about three years, three years left to stay at home and go to the same school and look at the same teachers and the same friends, etc. And that is really where I started like preparing my mind and my dreams and my visions. And, you know, so I started coming up with this idea of a, of a life that I wanted to live. You know, and you can imagine the kind of world that a 15-year-old wants to live in. <laughs> it was fantastic. And as, I, and as I became more exposed and lived in different cities and went to university and met different people, my dreams became a lot more realistic. And I, I started forming the idea of wanting uh, freedom and independence, but at the same time wanting to, to grow within, within the comforts. Of, of what I'd grown up in. And, and, my, and the first place I worked at was, was brilliant in shaping that vision. So I'm, I'm now sort of running ahead of your question, but my first job was at Signia Asset Management. And Signia is a, comp, a, a great investment business started by an immigrant, okay? Her name is Magda. Magda came to South Africa under far worse conditions than I did. What she has made of herself and made of that business, is, it's, it's incredible. So on the first day of work, I was so happy to have a job. And on the second day of work, after I knew her story, I was like, I want to build my own business like this. That was, that was exactly it. I, after that, I always tell people I was only happy to be in the investment industry for one day, as, as an employee for one day. On the second day, I was trying to figure out how to build my own. And investments is such a complex business. It's such a complex business. You're actually pretty much running three companies at the same time. You're running an investment business. You're running an operations business. You're running an admin business. And obviously, there are ways to outsource and build everything together. But she did it so brilliantly, and and her driving, what her, the fuel that drove her, was the fact that she simply never fitted in. That's it. Never fitted in. Never fitted in. She may look normal. If she walked in here right now, you wouldn't think that she looks any different from any other white lady in Cape Town. But once you sit down with her, you realize this is a completely different person. Yeah, this is a different person. Yeah. So I think for me, that was, that was it. I've even, I've even forgotten your question. But I don't yeah, know. You're that... moving in the right direction. Was the wine business, you mentioned that you started the wine business at university. Were there any other, any earlier ideas that you decided to commercialize or productize? At an entrepreneurship level? It was very simple and basic. It was, that was all the way back in university. In fact, even in high school. High school already, I started small businesses where I would, you know, you know be making, I, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I was making about between 50 rand on a bad day and 200 rand on a good day. 
Yeah. And my dad just told me, listen, I'm going to open your unit trust and you make sure you go to the bank and deposit that money every... And, you know, the, back then there was no EFT. And I was also earning this money in cash. So I would literally go to the bank and, like, I've got the deposit slip, you know, handing it in to the guy over the counter. And my name is... I'm the creditor and the, and, and, and the receiver. Yeah. And I was just putting this money into my account. And that was a lot of money for, for me at the age. Yeah, I was 15, I think, you know. And eventually, if you know, if you start off at that level it grows and it evolves. And then you realize, okay, I've learned how to make money from doing this and that, you know, and you mentioned my wine business. The wine, it's, it's, it's not even, comp- I was, I could literally explain to you someone in five minutes how to set up that business and they could go and make themselves like some, some good, some good change for the year. But it, it's not, it's not a business I want, I'm, I'm going to be proud of, you know? So, 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 so making money or figuring out how to make extra income is one thing. But figuring out how to to build a sustainable business that you're actually proud of and actually utilizing your skill set, that is a completely different animal altogether. And it just takes time. There's there, there's no formula to it. It just takes time. And you need to read and you need to expose yourself to people and and and, and that that that's that's the bottom line. And also striking the balance between studying too much and being in the field, in the game, talking to guys, going to dinners, you know. And, you know, in investments, CFA is like the glorified qualification. And I, I made a decision that I'm not going to study my CFA. Yeah. I studied a lot of the content, but not to go and write the exam. And it was purely on the basis of the fact that I, I strongly believe that if you need to lock yourself up for three years between the age of 23 and 30, you're going to lose a lot of time that you could have been spending with your colleagues you could have been spending with your potential clients, learning the field, people seeing your name. You're not tired. You're switched on. You, the markets are moving. You understand the crises that are happening. You understand the bull runs, the bear runs. I mean, the, the bears. You, you're understanding everything. And you're engaging with guys. You're, you're meeting guys for that beer after work. And the, the beer on a, on a I mean, the, the, um, it keeps on saying beers. <laughs> the beers and the burgers and the sushi dates, the sushis on Friday evenings or whatever. That's where you actually learn to, to, to start your business, I, I think. Because the network is so important. Yeah. But when you've got a nice CFA qualification, not to say there's anything wrong with it. It's, it's, a, it's a great degree to have. But I, I feel like it, you know, anyway, let me, let me, let me not bash, bash the effect. <laughs> so what came after Signia moving back to your career? I know that you went to Signia, you've been to Coronation, PSG. How was the experience at Signia and what came after that? So the first company was Signia and that company, Signia didn't invest straight directly into the market. It didn't invest directly into into stocks. It invested into other asset managers. So it was a manager of managers or fund of funds. And it gave me a good overview of the market, of what the asset management industry looked like. I understood people's different strategies. I understood people's different unit trusts. And I understood how to sort of like who was just doing things differently, you know, who the cowboys were. I understood who was, you know, was playing it safe. Um, who, you know, was hugging the benchmark. And I understand the fee game as well. Because like when you're, when, you're, when you're investing in, in different managers, you're actually very fee sensitive. And, and, and Signia's strategy is a passive strategy, which means that the company is not trying to, it's not trying to necessarily outperform based on skill. But you're picking a strategy that you believe is going to work for you long term. 
and you're just sticking to it. So you're judged on how well you stick to your, your process. So the, so I, I knew that like after a few years, I knew that I had, I had learned everything I needed to learn there. I think I, I learned great quantitative skills there. Master, you know, those guys are, those, that's a quantitative house. I always say, if you want to learn quant, you go there. Mm-hmm. Second job, at, you know, during my time at Signia, I knew for a fact that I needed to talk to clients. It, it, there was no doubt in my mind. I needed, I was, I realized I'm an extrovert. Whether I studied maths or not, I'm an extrovert. I need to be client facing. So after Signia, I went to PSG. And in the interview, I told them exactly what I wanted. And they were looking for a more quants person. So I told them I want to be client facing. And they said, okay, we will, we will basically transition you into a role like that eventually, you know. And PSG had such a different culture, such a different culture. In fact, it was like, I literally got whiplash. Like the gears changed so suddenly from going from Signia to, to PSG. These guys gave me like a, a free man, open mandate. So I got there. And I just started forging my way in a, in a much smaller asset management business. So just to give you context, Signia was, was managing around 100 billion in, in assets at the time, RANDs, 100 billion RANDs assets, and, and PSG around that time was managing 19 billion. So it was, it, was completely, it was completely different. But what I liked about it is that every cent mattered and we, every client mattered. Not to say Signia clients didn't matter. And Signia also just focused on institutional, comp- on institutional investors at the time. They hadn't gone retail. Where PSG had no institutional, everybody was retail. So it was, it was a great transition. I started learning the retail market. I started applying my quantitative skills that they really needed. But at the same time, they were allowing me to go and speak to guys, go to brokers, you know, travel the country and, and et cetera. So I, had a, I, had in, my, I always say my best, my best years of my career were at PSG because it was very entrepreneurial because we're trying to grow this book from 19 to 100. So that's where the dis- I displayed a lot of uh, my charisma, my hunger to grow. And I was really part of this brand and it, it, it was fantastic. At PSG, there was, I, had, I, had an, I was involved in an accident that was a mountain biking accident that was also life-changing. So during that time, I had no intention of leaving PSG at the time. I got into this accident. I'm incapacitated for some time, multiple fractures. I was in hospital. And I had time to just think. I had time to just stop doing everything and just stay in hospital for a while and think and heal. By the time I came out of there, I was just a different animal altogether. Altogether, I was just different. And obviously, people are seeing me limping back into the office thinking, hey, JJ's back. I was not back. I knew that, A, there's no time to mess around. Like, I need to, I need to start, like, crafting my dream. And I narrowed down two companies that would potentially make me move. So I was like, I was ready to stay where I was until I launched on my own, or I was only prepared to listen to two other companies in, in, in South Africa because I knew they could give me the exposure that I needed. And lo and behold, the way the world works, I, I, got, I got headhunted for a job at one, at one of those two companies. And then I moved, I moved to Coronation Fund Managers. I stayed at Coronation for two years which was also much shorter than I had intended. I intended to stay at Coronation for at least minimum five years or even just finish my career there or just stay there forever, you know. Coronation is an incredible company. And just to give you context, Signia managed 100 billion. PSG managed 19 billion at the time when I was there. And it moved up to 25 by the time I left. Coronation was at 650. 
650 billion. I mean, at 650 billion, you are on the global stage. You're on the global stage. You're running a global business. That's that's about $45 billion. It's 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 substantial. It's substantial. It's substantial. And and just the the kind of drive, it's like such a, a proper performance culture. You're exposed to everything. You're looking at everything. I mean, I remember being overwhelmed at just the amount of information that flows through that company. It takes time. So so so, so with the, the car analogy, I was saying the signal was going from like a German car into a Japanese car, and then all of a sudden I was in a Ferrari. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? That's exactly how it felt. That's exactly how it felt. Everything is thought through. Like the succession planning alone is just, it's, it's incredible. And I could see how I could see how I could fit into the business. I, I, I still, I still think it's one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And even day to day, I try to benchmark a lot of the decisions I make as in like, what would guys of coronation do? What would senior leadership coronation do in this instance? Yeah, no, no, 100, 100%, 100%. And then also just to circle it all back, Magda from Cigna used to work at coronation for 15 years. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where she spent her, her career. Well, what an amazing experience to be part of three amazing entrepreneurial enterprises. If you could take one quality as an entrepreneur from Signia, one from PSG, and one from Coronation, what are the qualities that you would most want to duplicate? Okay. With Signia, I think the one thing I learned there was that when you are starting a business you want to uh, it looks businesses are different but in this particular business what really works is to get in the big fish first yeah you get in the big fish first and then after that you can start you can then then you can and once and once you've secured that and you you've, you've built the business on that basis after that you can then have you can then start serving the smaller fish. It, the other way around can work, it, but it just doesn't work the same. You will wait a much, much, much longer time, much longer time. So just try land the big fish first. And by landing the big fish, you need to package a seriously good product, a seriously good product. I mean, whenever I think back to what, to where and how Signia was at the age like so so the output of signia at the age of the business it's actually unbelievable what we were doing it's actually unbelievable what we're doing and yet we were literally running like a it, i mean we were we were like a small investment team we're tiny you know like every time i think about it i'm like it's actually incredible to think what we were able to do and yet we're so few people you know i think there were about, we were about 50 people in that business when when i when i when i worked there yeah. And now, I mean, geez, Signia is massive. You know, there's so many people and they're doing so many things. I see, like, there were, back then there were no adverts. There were no Signia adverts. You know, marketing budget was very low. You know, the budget, the budget for everything was low. And where the deals were being closed were in a boardroom somewhere between Magda, a few key individuals, and like a few big guys. And that's sort of where... And that's like, that was a big takeaway for me because like, I even remember, I think it was the post office. Like, I remember the day that, that, that they won the post office mandate. And that, that, I think it was like 30 billion. 
yeah no it's like it's 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 like life-changing a life-changing mandate you know as opposed to winning uh, a small brokerage of like a hundred million to like to like to even up to a billion rand or even two billion rand, like a big brokerage like a decent brokerage in this country would be like two billion rand mandate and of that two billion you're only going to get a percentage and now now signia is like a it's like a brand. brand yeah it's a brand psg took the retail market strategy however i learned incredible incredible stance from 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 psg now because signia went the institutional way the fees were actually very low in fact they were, they were they were they were stupidly low. Sorry to use the word stupidly, but they were stupidly low. PSG believed that they wanted to charge a decent margin on their for their product, and they were almost not negotiable with fees. And they spent a lot of time building a broker network. So everywhere in this country you go to, especially within Afrikaans towns, they understood their clientele. PSG is a proper Afrikaans business. They are unashamedly Afrikaans. And they know that within Afrikaans, homes, households, etc., if they can have a, a distribution network of Afrikaans financial advisors who are able to go to the farms, to the businesses, and advise fellow Afrikaans people, they could then win all that money in. And they have done so brilliantly. It's 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 actually just so brilliant. I, I used to I used to be I used to be fascinated. I used to be fascinated. I'm like. This is what it means to understand your clients. This is what it means. I remember picking up the phone and, uh, you know, the, sometimes at work, the phone rings. It's supposed to go to reception and somehow just be rerouted to my, to my desk. Yeah. I pick it up. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a client. And he was shocked that I answered the phone in English. He couldn't believe it. And then she, she's obviously speaking Afrikaans. And naturally, you know, I should transition to Afrikaans. But my Afrikaans is not good enough to have an investment conversation. She just could not believe, you know. She was probably thinking to herself, "What in the world has come of PSG?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And and that just—it's like I don't even blame the client. You know, this is this is this was the product. This is the culture. This is the product that was that was that she bought. She bought a she bought into a, a an investment unit trust that spoke her language that sent her correspondence in her language. Now she wants to talk to somebody. And <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking. I'm speaking the kings. She's like, what? What is this? <laughs> so, 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 so. One thing about PSG is 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 they understood their, they understand their 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 clients, and and every client of theirs, every single client of theirs, and every broker who serves every client is taken care of. Is taken care of. Yeah. No, no. It's incredible. I used to go to the. They have these uh, conferences at Sun City every year. It's like it's an it's actually just incredible how you can build a business like that. So so you know there's an insurance business, there's an asset management business, and there's a wealth business, but it's it's incredible. So that's that's what I learned there. Coronation. Coronation is just one one word. Performance. It's just performance. Performance. I mean, they they really and performance and research. Like those people read. Those people read. They read, they read, they interrogate, they study, they they rethink. And guys at Coronation have done incredibly well. They will still be up five in the morning in the office as early as possible and acting like the company is on day is, is in its first week. Or is is in its infancy. And and that to me, like that performance culture 
for me was just outstanding absolutely outstanding and aligning staff to to to, to be the same so you get in a very good uh, uh, staff scheme incentive scheme and it makes sure that everybody in the business is aligned and you're not thinking about side hustle or whatever you know don't don't mind me who stayed there and left to do my own thing but it's essentially they, they they reward you in such a way that you're completely aligned to the business your your remuneration is truly aligned to the business and there's a sense of transparency at least a sense of transparency that you can trust in and you just believe that look it's a meritocracy if i perform i will be remunerated commensurate to my performance you know so so there's a lot of that they do that beautifully they do that beautifully yeah those are my three things so if we could summarize here the first one get the big whale in the 80 to 20 get the 20 percent that allows us to have the 80 the second one build a winning culture and understand your customer and the third one prepare to have an outstanding performance. That's it. I, I used to sit in I used to sit in investment meetings and pitches um, with with the top guys, the top senior guys, senior portfolio managers there, and I was always thoroughly impressed just how well versed these guys are. And you even speak to even the analysts, even even the junior guys. Like you can see, they've been trained to just to just like understand investments like differently from a lot of other guys in other houses. I mean, being in the investment industry, you know, you, you have drinks and you meet up with different people from different investment houses, but the guys of Coronation are just outstanding. Yeah, very different. And that was it for the first part of our conversation with JJ. The next part is coming on July 5th. Thank you, JJ, for sharing amazing lessons. On the second part, he goes in depth exploring his adventure in Kenya, his views on South Africa, his views on the continent if you're looking to invest or start your own company or even develop an existing company, an existing business. Thanks to the team at Ikaya Lodge and thanks to you. Yes, you, the listener. Thank you for being with us. Stay blessed, stay safe and stay empowered. See you 